I do my best to keep my ears to the ground, as it will, with uh, what's going on in church culture. And I'll confess, there's a lot of things that I don't like, and I've been pretty vocal about a lot of those things recently. But every once in a while, I see something coming up on the horizon that really does bring joy to my heart and encouragement for what's going on in our world today. And that's precisely what I found out as uh, has been going on this week. Uh, there have been some reports of a spiritual revival happening in uh, Asbury University and Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. Some of you may or may not have heard about this. Uh, what apparently began as a regular on-campus chapel service uh, just hasn't stopped. It uh, is There was a hunger to keep the service going, and it has now been in going on in continuation for 24 hours a day for something like two weeks now. Can you imagine a service going on for two weeks? Some of you guys think I go for too long. (laughs) People people are still gathered at all hours of the day and night for prayer, for praise, and proclaiming God's word. That's amazing to me. I checked just this morning, and there's still a line out the door at the, at the place to get into the chapel to praise and worship. Imagine a line coming in to church with every, every seat and every pew filled. Praise God. You know, from what I've read, and there's not a huge amount available, but there appears to be no central figure controlling it or directing it. And it seems to have started spontaneously. And I have heard reports recently that several other campuses, this very same thing is happening now. It's spreading to various other places. And all I can say about this is hallelujah. Oh, God, yes, this is wonderful news. I mean, this is exactly what we pray for, is it not? We pray for revival to take place in churches and campuses and the streets of town all over the world. This is what we've been praying for, that he would indeed revive us again and turn this ever-increasingly secular culture back to God. And moments like that just warm my heart to see God moving in incredible ways throughout the world today. And now there is... Much that I don't know about this particular gathering, they've been very careful not to broadcast everything live and make a big spectacle or do big social media events towards it. They've even turned media away because they don't want this to be this big crazy thing, you know, about like prop this up and see what we're doing here. Do this everywhere else. You know, I love the spirit that's here. But what I did want to ask this morning is what is revival in the first place? You know, we pray for this thing called revival, and we throw this word around, but do we really understand what it means? Or is it just this word that's part of church culture that we stopped asking what it is? Well, it doesn't mean people gathering together and singing really loudly, nor is it necessarily just an elongated church service. But the best definition I've seen so far is this. An extraordinary work of God the Holy Spirit, reinvigorating and propagating Christian piety throughout a community. 
And I love that. Reinvigorating, giving energy to them, and propagating Christian piety. A restoration of holiness in the lives of the people who take part in such a revival. In other words, it, it doesn't just mean an outpouring of emotionalism. It's people encountering the power of the Holy Spirit. Allowing him to change our lives, bringing back to life our spiritual deadness. And allowing him to change our lives. As well as many people being born again for the very first time. For the first time encountering the love and grace of Christ. Now this takes place on two levels, both personally and in the community. This happens personally when you as an individual forsake your spiritual lethargy, when you repent of your sins and come to truly trust Jesus as the pearl of great price that he really is, treasuring him as the precious Savior that he is. And by the way, this isn't something that only happens during miraculous outpourings of the Spirit of God. We are commanded to do that all throughout Scripture, whether or not we're in times of revival. I mean, that commandment is given to us as the body of Christ on pretty much every page of the New Testament. So this is, that's not something new for us as individuals. We're called to it anyway, but people start calling it a revival when it starts to spread throughout a whole community. And now, like I said, there's simply not enough data for me to construct a firm opinion and an analysis of, as to exactly what's going on in Kentucky right now, but there is a consistent pattern of what happens when spiritual revival does take place throughout all of human history, whether if it's the Welsh revival, of which birthed hymns like the one we just sung, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, or the Great American Awakenings, the Jesus Movement of the 1960s, or even the prior revival that took place at this very college, Asbury College, in the 1970s. Interesting that this is happening there a second time. But either way, you see this basic pattern emerge. You will see these things during a time of genuine revival. The first thing is that there is a hunger for God and a hunger for the things of God. There's what I like to call a holy discontentment with bare minimum Christianity. That it's just not enough for us to gather for worship only once a week. And if there's a midweek service, people can't wait to get to the midweek service. And if there is one, if there isn't one, people are begging their pastors to start one. And even prayer services, which are historically way under attended, even those start getting packed out to capacity. That's what you expect to see during an outpouring of the Spirit of God. Because get this, church, people stop coming to church looking to be entertained. And they look to meet with God. And they realize, oh, that can happen at a prayer service too. And they meet with him there and encounter him in a powerful way. 
And the next thing is related to that. People experience radical change in their lives during times of revival. Uh, According to one professor of church history, that's what sets revival apart from emotional gatherings or an elongated worship service. I mean, otherwise, every Christian concert would be considered a revival if people just got together and sang really loudly in large numbers. But no, it's the, the power of a real change. That there's a centrality to the gospel in these true revivals that bring about this change. It's an awareness of a sin in our lives that is so deep it could destroy us. But also, on the other side, an awareness of a God who loves us so much that despite the depth of our sin, has still forgiven us, who has not given us what we have deserved, but has given us his grace, his love, taking the punishment we deserve on the cross so that we could live with a clean conscience before a holy and perfect God. And that awareness of these two extremes leads to wonderful things in people's lives. In response, there's this brokenness over sin and a realization of how glorious God is that leads to this change, to this hunger for more. It's not this radical change. It doesn't just come out. This hunger doesn't come from just, ah, you know what, I'm, I'm... think I'll go to church an extra time today. No, there's a hunger for more in realization of how wonderful the gospel of Jesus Christ truly is. And in response, amazing things happen. Again, the point is change. I read a fascinating article about the prior revival at Asbury College where students kept coming to the bookstore because they wanted to return books they had stolen. At a Christian college. And they were offering to do whatever it took to make it right again. During the Welsh revivals, the courts were emptied. Judges were sitting around with nothing to do. Because people had been changed so radically from the inside, there's no courts to, court cases to be settled. Bars and saloons were shutting down all over the country. Because people were finding their fulfillment in Christ rather than in numbing the pain through alcohol. And I heard one humorous account of horses not knowing how to respond to their masters because they were so used to their masters cursing at them. They had to figure out this new form of communication that didn't involve that. Fascinating. And lastly, in terms of these patterns, lastly, revival in all of those cases did not stop at the location they started at. But yes, they may have started at a particular church service or college campus, but they spread from there. Because true revival is not an event you attend. True revival takes place in the heart of a person which is why you can't plan one of these, which is why, well-meaning as it is, a lot of those tent revivals where people would set up a tent and hire a bunch of public speakers and um, loud music, you know, that's great if if you're seeking to ask for a revival, but only God can bring revival. 
And the people who have been genuinely changed by the gospel will then go out and tell other people about how they have been changed by this power. And whether that's through street evangelism, proclaiming out on Broadway the good news of Christ, or just inviting your neighbor to church, inviting your neighbor to partake in what you have experienced, that's all that that's fits right in with this pattern, and that's how it goes. Others will go out and plant churches. I mean, some 1,600 churches were planted in the 1960s because of the Jesus Movement revival. And that's child's play compared to the Second Great Awakening that planted over 19,000 churches in the Methodist denomination alone. Not to mention the Baptists and the Presbyterians were blowing up at that time too. So it's because of that, because of this proliferation, and because revival is something that takes place in the heart. That's the reason I'm not buying a plane ticket today to go to Kentucky. Because I'm praying that God will organically do the same thing right here in New Jersey. That he would begin here with us. Again, not because that's something that we can manufacture. There's going to be tons of people trying to manufacture this now. That's, That's not what I'm saying. But let us all be praying and seeking God that he would begin with us. Begin in our own hearts, our own personal revivals. And that if the Lord wills, he would pour out his spirit upon this old town and see God do that here again. (laughs) What's interesting is that G. Campbell Morgan, a pastor in London during the Welsh revival himself, encouraged people not to do that, not encouraged people not to attempt to start a revival. Because he, having seen it himself, he said, God didn't start the first one in Wales. I mean, man, I said that completely wrong. Man did not start the first one in Wales. God did. So we simply trust him to do it again, which ought to give us all an encouragement today because the same Holy Spirit that started that one in Wales, the same Holy Spirit that started the the great awakenings here in America, the same Holy Spirit that started the Fulton Street Revival or any of these other revivals is in your heart today, right now, if you're a Christian. Isn't that encouraging? And doesn't that give us perspective of what God might be setting up to do? And this isn't just an argument you can make from church history. You can see this right out of the pages of Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but you will see a perfect example in the biblical account of Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. Surprised you guys enough with surprise scriptures this morning. But it's a fascinating account because Josiah was only eight years old when he became king of Israel. King of Judah, I should say. And both his father and grandfather were wicked men. He did not grow up having a godly heritage in his home. But yet, amazingly, even though he was young, he had a heart towards God. And he he even helped repair the temple that had fallen into disrepair. But revival did not take place in his own heart until until the word of God was rediscovered in the temple during his time. And I do say rediscovered. We'll talk about that in a second. The Bible was lost on the people at that time. 
And there's a powerful parallel to us living in America today. The word of God has, in a sense, been lost in the house of God. You know, in ancient Israel, during that time, it had been forgotten and it had been unused for a regretfully long period of time. Because, you know, the true worship that God had instituted has been increasingly marginalized and pagan worship was on the rise, becoming central to Jewish life even back then. And you wonder how that's even possible today until you look at the state of American Christianity today. You'll still find pews, uh, Bibles in pews in most churches, but frequently they're not picked up and read. And even when they are, they usually don't remain open for the sermon. And, you, and even if they are, they're, sometimes they're not even related to the sermon that the pastor is preaching. It happens. So we begin to understand how this might take place. But what does take place when Josiah is read the word of God is exactly what you would expect if true revival were to break out. Like it, as we see in chapter 22, verse 11, it says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, which is an ancient symbol of brokenness and mourning and lamenting. And then in verse 13, it says, Go inquire of the Lord for me. For what, and for all the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. Do you hear his admission of sin? Do you hear his acknowledgement of guilt? His the fervor of repentance, his own personal brokenness over being challenged by what God's word said. He's like, oh no, we haven't done this. To quote Isaiah, woe is me for I am undone. And that's what we see. And in response, he desires to immediately go to seek forgiveness, to seek the priests for what God would have us to do next. He wants to do the right thing. And then in chapter 23, the next chapter, I highly encourage you guys to read this in your own time later. They gathered all the inheritance, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem to the temple, and they had the whole Bible that had been written up to that point read before them in their hearing. And those of you who've been following along in our Bible in a Year program have an idea of how long that is. We're not even up to 2 Kings yet. And I love that Josiah's first thought was to seek the Lord. And his second thought immediately following was, I need to tell everyone about this. I can't keep this good news to myself. And there together, after reading the word of God before everyone, together they recommitted themselves to following the Lord and following his ways. And what happened next is the natural outworking of a revived heart. Because these people, after committing their lives, recommitting their lives to to the true God, the God of the word, they immediately, after this emotional experience, they start looking around. And they see all these pagan worship places surrounding their hillsides. On all the high places, there's places of pagan worship. Under every green tree, there's places of pagan worship. And Asherah poles and all of these things that they're told not to have. 
And they made that commitment, this can't be. And they tear all of it down. Destroy it. Bringing centrality back to the way God had told them to worship. But the great news is it didn't even stop there. Because all this is happening historically in the southern kingdom of Judah. Because then they start looking up to the northern kingdom and say, wait a minute, we, we got to get things right there too. And they go rush up there and the same kind of revival happens. The same thing happens there. And at the end of it all, after all is said and done and they've purged all of this pagan worship from their land, as you guys hopefully read later, they celebrate the Passover once again. Something that they had not done since Josiah's great-grandfather. Think about how long that is for something that you all know is such a sacred part of Jewish tradition. And they had ignored it since the days of his great-grandfather Hezekiah. Wow. That shows the depth of how bad things had gotten. But it also shows now how fast God can turn things around when he pours out his spirit. This is what revivals are capable of. And I pray from the depth of my heart that that is exactly what God does here in America in our time. Oh, to God that he does. That our nation would too rediscover the word of God and that we would also have a mourning over our sin that leads to a genuine repentance. That we would forsake all of our paganism that has infiltrated so much of our culture, indeed so much of our churches. And that this would spread throughout all of our nation, restoring true worship the way God had told us to worship today. Not in a temple with sacrifices, but honoring the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ and worshiping him in spirit and in truth bringing that centrality back to the overall church in America. And I believe God can do that. Do you? I mean, we know that in the back of our minds, but do we really believe he can do that? Because if we do, let us pray for that. Let us seek that. Because I believe God that, that all that's stopping God from doing that is just him outpouring his spirit in this area. Who knows what God just might do? But of course, even in a revival, we know not everyone is going to be saved. Not everyone is encountering the living God. And that's been true of every revival. Many of you remember when we were in Matthew 13 not that long ago, going through the parables of Jesus. We saw the parable of the wheat and the weeds where Jesus warned us that weeds or tares would grow alongside the genuine wheat, teaching us that there, that there are always going to be false believers in every multitude, and that we won't always be able to tell the difference. We can, we can, we can know that and anticipate that. He also taught that there would be others who would experience a temporary excitement for things of God, like the seed that fell among the, the shallow soil. Shot up for a time, but withered away when persecution came. Or the other one that fell among the thorns, where, yes, there seemed to be something genuine at first, but the desires for the things of this world, and desires for sins, desires for riches, choked that genuine growth and stopped it from becoming fruitful. And 
that we that is the same of all revivals. I'm sure that for some people who are experiencing this genuine revival right now in Kentucky are just having an emotional experience that will be here today, gone tomorrow. I'm sure, based on Scripture, that's happening to some degree. But I'm also personally convinced that others are having a genuine, powerful encounter with the living God and are never going to be the same again. So I know that, that was my own heart. I've been to church services, and I remember my own personal conversion experiences, you know, where my commitments to Christ have been growing. And I know that sometimes that people were right there with me, partook in something amazing, and other people, you know, were with me for a time and then fell away. This happens. But there's but God but where God is in it, amazing things happen. And the scriptures have a great way of showing us and making sense out of what's going on around us, which is why we're so committed to going verse by verse through the scriptures, making sense of this world around us. But, but I want to let you guys know, uh, things aren't always so spectacular in how these things look when God pours out his spirit. It's not always this massive army storming into another nation, bringing revival and tossing out all the pagan stuff. It often starts a lot more subtle than that. Maybe we'll just be meeting downstairs later. We're just finishing up our amazing time of this great luncheon that the deacons have prepared for us today. And, and as we're sipping our coffees, there's, there's just a desire to go back upstairs. Well, I'm, I'm not done yet. Can, can, we, can we sing another hymn? Can we do something else? And... I'll be the first in line to walk upstairs and, and do that. I'm sure I could twist Sharon's arm and have her come with us. <laughs> maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't, but, but sometimes it's just as ordinary as that. Sometimes it's even more ordinary than that. It might just be, a, as we said before, a holy discontentment with just coming to church once a week. And there's just a desire, God, I want more of you. I want to encounter you more. I, I've had such a deep experience with you. I want to respond in praise and in worship. I just want to respond to that throughout this week. And there's a passion to meet with the saints and praise God and lift him up together. And I pray that is you. I pray that is you today. And I pray that there would be this outpouring of the Spirit of God, and not as a numbers thing, but as a just a lifting up of God in our hearts, a desire to meet with Him and praise Him and worship Him and give Him all the glory and honor that is due His name. Surrendering all to Him, letting go of all of these things that hold us back from full commitment to Him. Whether it be some grievous sin that we have committed, whether it be a lack of commitment in our own hearts, or maybe some books that we stole in college, that we would give whatever it is back and experience true revival in the heart. And guys, I know that to at least some degree, that has been some of you on an individual basis. I know over the last couple of years that some of you guys have had experiences in your own hearts, a deepening of your relationship with Christ as we've been journeying through the scriptures together. 
And I pray that that would be each of us as time goes by, that God would give us this holy brokenness and restore us more full than ever before. I pray that's for the same every single of every single one of us here, regardless of what's happening in Asbury or anywhere else for that matter. And my final question is this. If that's not you, why not? Why not? Is God not worthy of all of our glory, honor, and praise? Is he not worthy of our adoration all the week long? I mean, surely we know that's the case. Of course he is worthy. But why not in my own heart? The problem obviously then rests in us, if that is the case. And perhaps in an ironic way, our own lack of brokenness would lead to brokenness as we cry out together, Lord, why not? Why is that not my heart? Lord, change me. Break me where I need to be broken. Heal me where I need to be healed and restore me to who you have called me to be. And that making that very lack of brokenness lead to us surrendering all to him and giving him all the glory, honor, and praise he deserves. Thanks be to God. Amen.